Well, good evening, everyone. It's great to uh, have you here, and uh, may I thank you for coming out to hear a uh, sermon on such a, well, such a disgusting night, on a rather obscure uh, minor prophet. Shall we uh, pray as we uh, delve into Habakkuk? Just after Habakkuk's first uh, complaint, he says these words, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Well, that's uh, our attitude this evening as well. We uh, stand or sit, we station ourselves, and we are looking to see what you have to say to us. And like Habakkuk, we want to listen and obey. Uh, So we pray that as we look at this uh, rather, I guess, rather obscure book, uh, so far away with a funny name and uh, in an obscure corner of the Bible, We pray that still you would speak uh, by your word uh, to us this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, I wonder when the last time was you got cross. Perhaps you don't get cross. Perhaps you're someone who's uh, always uh, always serene and always peaceful. Uh, I wonder when was the last time you got cross. Uh, I wonder what caused it. Maybe it was something uh, trivial, perhaps. Well, maybe not trivial. Maybe the computer crashed when you were doing some pretty... Uh, critical piece of work. Uh, maybe it was uh, a colleague who is always trying to grab the credit for work that you've done. Uh, that makes you cross. I used to have a colleague who was like that. It used to make me pretty cross. Uh, let me ask you another question. Uh, when was the last time you got cross with God? Perhaps you've never got cross with God. Is it okay to get cross with God? Is that all right? Some people perhaps would say it's not. Don't know. Well, let's let's part that to one side. But because Habakkuk is a man who is uh, cross with God, he's a man who's cross with God. Uh, he's got a good reason to be cross with God. To be honest, uh, he's living in pretty evil times. Uh, the culture around him has completely rejected God and His ways. Uh, and Habakkuk is cross because it doesn't seem like God is doing very much about it. It seems like as far as Habakkuk is concerned, God's just sat on his high cloud somewhere, uh, watching it, but isn't really doing a great deal about it. Uh, Perhaps he'd forgotten. Perhaps he just didn't really care anymore about his people. Maybe he'd just given up, and and, uh, and Habakkuk is frustrated. And I want to kind of uh, delve into Habakkuk and, uh, and treat it in, in two halves, really. Um, Habakkuk is a, is a small book, but it divides quite neatly into, into two halves. Uh, the first two uh, chapters I've entitled Habakkuk's uh, Complaining Prayer. It's Habakkuk having a whinge, basically. Uh, but chapter three, the second half of it, which we had read, is, is very, very different. And I've called that Habakkuk's Confident Praise. Uh, and I want us to kind of trace how Habakkuk goes from having a grump Uh, through to actually trusting in God and his word. So let's have a look first, shall we, at Habakkuk's uh, complaining prayer. We're going to look at the first couple of chapters of Habakkuk. It'd be a great help to me if you've got the Bible open in front of you, then we can uh, delve into it uh, together. Uh, It's often said, isn't it, that honesty is the the best policy. Uh, I don't know whether that's true or not, but certainly uh, that's Habakkuk's uh, policy anyway. Uh, Habakkuk starts by pouring out his complaints uh, to God. And you can see that, can't you, from verse 2. Uh, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Uh, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? 
Uh, He's got lots and lots of complaints. Uh, God doesn't seem to be listening to him. God doesn't seem to be taking any notice of the violence, of the uh, injustice, of just the rampant evil that is going on in uh, Judah at this time. Uh, Knowing a bit of the historical background to this can help us understand it a little bit more. Uh, Basically, the previous prophet before Habakkuk had been uh, the prophet Zephaniah, and he'd been around probably about... 20 years, something like that, 20 years previously uh, to Habakkuk. Uh, Things had been quite bad in in, uh, Zephaniah's day, uh, but they'd got a whole lot worse in the intervening 20 years uh, till Habakkuk was around. Uh, At this time, they were being ruled by a king called uh, King Jehoiakim, uh, and he was a pretty selfish king, to be honest. He was a pretty nasty uh, piece of work who really just let evil prosper, essentially. Uh, He got wealthier whilst everyone else got poorer, and uh, things were really in a quite a desperate state. Uh, And I guess like any godly individual, Habakkuk looks out on this day by day, and something in him just says, this is is wrong. This shouldn't be happening. Perhaps he'd heard stories, or he maybe remembered of kind of how things had been at some point in the past. We don't really know. But something in him said, this is wrong, and this is not how life uh, should be. And yet at the same time, Habakkuk knows that he knows about God. He knows that God can't just sit by and let this happen uh, as well. Uh, He knows that God is a God of holiness. He's a God of justice. uh, And he can't just kind of sit back and let this kind of stuff go on, can he? Uh, And at the same time, Habakkuk knows these truths about God. And yet still God seems to be doing nothing about it. And Habakkuk's pretty cross. Doesn't, can't really explain it, but he's just cross. God, why aren't you doing something? Get off your backside. Do something about this situation. I guess if we're um, Christians, if we're followers of Jesus uh, this evening, maybe we can kind of relate in some way to uh, Habakkuk's emotions. I know I certainly uh, can, I think. Uh, we look around, I guess, at our world. Uh, it seems so dead set, doesn't it, against God and his words and his people. Uh, and it's really just tempting, isn't it, to get quite cross. Uh, just this week, uh, was, it, was it last week, um, Tim Farron, the new Lib Dem leader, was uh, on the, uh, doing, touring the media outlets, wasn't he? Uh, and of course, what do they want to know? He's an evangelical Christian. First question that comes up is all about his attitude to uh, same-sex marriage. Uh, and how is his kind of evangelical Christianity going to in some way compromise his ability to lead a mainstream political party? I don't know, I was really watching some of the interviews and uh, on Facebook, a friend had sent me and, and kind of reading it, and I just got really cross, to be honest. You know, I, I don't know Tim Farron, I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a Liberal Democrat, uh, but just seeing somebody being taken to the cleaners like that because of his Christian faith, from this, the, the, the kind of the, the broadcasters were operating this default position that basically Christianity is rubbish and you're frankly a dangerous person to have in charge. I got pretty cross at that. I guess we can get pretty cross, can't we, as well, when we think about the state of Christianity worldwide. Uh, Christians are the most persecuted faith uh, worldwide. The figures for Christians dying across the globe because of their faith are absolutely astonishing. Uh, And it's tempting just to think when we kind of hear these things, when we read these stories, that, God, what are you doing? Uh, where is God and what on earth is he up to? Has he forgotten about us? Is he just kind of, doesn't he care? What's, the, what's he doing? Well, Habakkuk makes his complaints uh, and his complaints don't go um, unheard. Uh, and God graciously responds 
to his sort of angry demands. And we can see that from uh, verse 5. And our translators are very helpfully uh, stuck in that, the Lord's answer. He sort of helps us to see where we're going, don't we? Uh, so God answers Habakkuk. Yet the funny thing is that Habakkuk, uh, God's reply to Habakkuk really isn't what Habakkuk's expecting at all. Uh, God has seen uh, what's going on. But God's people are going to be absolutely startled by what he's going to do. Verse 5, God says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. And what is God going to do? He is going to be raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. Uh, God is going to raise up Babylon, just as he'd done with the Assyrians a century earlier, uh, to God's people. And they are going to be his instrument. They're going to be his tool uh, to, uh, to accomplish his plans and purposes. Even though God admits that they're a ruthless and impetuous people and everyone fears them and dreads them. It's a little wonder, isn't it, that Habakkuk's reply in turn is essentially to start complaining that God is really doing too much. I mean, he wanted God to act, but he didn't really want him to do this. I mean, this is a step too far, isn't it? What's going on here? Uh, verse 12, Habakkuk's second complaint, the uh, writers have called it. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. Uh, he knows full well the terrible reputation of Babylon. It's, it's a little bit like uh, God raising up Nazi Germany to, uh, to, to, to punish uh, Great Britain. You know, he is scared of this. This just seems far too much for God to be doing. Uh, and it, but also, it doesn't seem to make sense to him. Uh, how is it that God can use a nation, he's even more wicked than Judah, for his purposes? Uh, Habakkuk goes on, doesn't he? Verse 13, he says this, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Well, why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those who are more righteous than themselves? Uh, it seems to Habakkuk that God, in some way, is tolerating the Babylonians and the, the unrighteous. It's a pretty dangerous thing to say, isn't it, I think, when we think about it. I mean, it seems to me that surely Habakkuk is, is all but implying that in some way God is being unfair or immoral, I guess. Uh, Habakkuk's essentially accusing God of overlooking Babylon's sin uh, and using them and overlooking their sin and, and kind of favouring them over uh, God's people. And yet at the same time, I think the accusation even goes a bit further than that. Because I think Habakkuk's almost implying that in some way God has forgotten his promises. Uh, Habakkuk wanted God to deal with evil, but he didn't want him to obliterate God's people. That is a step too far. And I think here is in, it's implied that Habakkuk is kind of saying, look, God, actually, are you going back on your promises? You said that you were going to sustain us as a people. <laughs> and actually, where is it going? It looks like it's heading to oblivion. There's two things going on there, I think. There's one sense in which God is being immoral, but there's also that sense in which actually God is being unfaithful to his word. And that's a pretty... I mean, both of those are serious charges to lay against God, aren't they, by any standards? I mean, Habakkuk doesn't quite go there, but I think he gets very, very, very close, actually. Uh, fundamentally, he can't seem to square God's actions with his character, I think. It just doesn't really make sense to him. He cannot see how God's actions seem to square with what he knows about God and how God uh, should be. But even though Habakkuk doesn't understand, still, we're told, he waits patiently. And this is the verse that I quoted at the start, verse 1 from chapter 2. Habakkuk says, 
I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Habakkuk knows that even if he can't work it out, God is always going to be true to his name. He's always true to his words, and he can be trusted above all else. Again, graciously, God replies to him. We're told that from verse 2 of chapter 2. And here there's kind of echoes, I think, of Mount Sinai and the giving of the law uh, in Exodus. Uh, We're told, aren't we, um, uh, the Lord replied to Habakkuk, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Uh, God tells Habakkuk to write down uh, what uh, he hears, that it can be proclaimed to everyone and critically it can be obeyed. Uh, It's interesting, God is clear that he speaks on his timetable, doesn't he? You can see what he says. Verse 3, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It goes on, though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come and will not delay. Uh, God always speaks, and he speaks on his terms. He's not really bossed around by uh, anyone here. What does God uh, have to say? Well, it seems to me that God's uh, response to Habakkuk is to, to kind of contrast two attitudes to God and to his words. Uh, on one hand, there are the arrogant, uh, and I suppose Babylon is really a, a kind of prime example of that. They're kind of held up as a sort of personification of what that looks like. Uh, and there's a terrible description of them, really. They're puffed up, verse 4. Their desires are not upright. Uh, wine betrays them. They're arrogant and never at rest. They're greedy. It's a terrible picture of, of people. They're never satisfied. Uh, and yet, as Jesus said, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit? one's soul. Uh, God says here that even all the wealth in the world that the Babylonians or all the wicked people uh, will gain will not shield them from the day of judgment. Uh, One day they'll be forced to drink the cup of God's wrath. Uh, Verse 16, we're told, you'll be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming round to you. Uh, So that's the one attitude, the arrogance, the puffed up, the unrighteous. And yet against that, God uh, sets up uh, the the opposite of that, uh, the righteous people, the upright. Uh, And God sums up their attitude in probably one of the most important phrases in the Bible. It's quite easy to overlook it, and you can see it in verse 4. The righteous will live by his faith. The righteous will will live by his faith. You could argue, I guess, that actually the entire message of the Bible is summed up in those uh, few words. Uh, To be righteous, that is to be somebody who's in a right relationship with God, uh, depends solely on trusting what God has done for us in the person of the Lord Jesus to put us right with him. The righteous live by faith. Uh, If you were with us for our uh, series in Romans, uh, you might remember that Paul quotes this verse uh, in uh, the first chapter of Romans, uh, verse 17. Uh, he quotes this, this verse, and he kind of explains it for us a little bit more what it means. Habakkuk probably wouldn't have known this. But we can look back and read it in the light of the New Testament. We can know what it means to live by faith. Uh, and Paul explains to us from Romans that, uh, that, that what it means is it's living by faith is believing in the gospel, or the good news, the good news that Jesus died for our wrongdoing. And Paul goes on, he says, that is God's power for salvation. To all who believe it, that is what makes us right with God. That makes us righteous. At every step, it's the righteous who live by faith. 
That's always been the path of the people of God, living by faith. Whether it was uh, back in Egypt when they thought the Lord had given up on them and they were in slavery. Whether it was in the wilderness. uh, Sometimes they didn't live by faith and that was part of the problem. It's always the way, whether it's today, it's always the righteous uh, live by faith. Uh, There was a Christian in the middle of the uh, last century called Corrie ten Boom. She was a Dutch uh, Christian who uh, escaped the the gas chambers in concentration camp. Uh, And after the war, she had quite a wide profile speaking and and writing. Uh, And uh, she was was once asked, uh, I think, how she'd managed to cope in some of those dark times. And she she really had seen some pretty dark times. Uh, And this is what she said. Uh, When a train goes through a tunnel, you don't get off. You hold tight and you trust the driver. (laughs) When a train goes through a tunnel, you don't get off, you hold tight and you trust the driver. I think she knew the truth of those words, didn't she, from Habakkuk. The righteous live by faith. Uh, It's how we come to God. We always come to him, not trusting anything that we can do, but trusting in what he's done for us through the cross. And it's also how we continue with him. We don't suddenly live in a different way when we become Christians. The path of the believer is always living uh, by faith. Uh, We might not fully understand what's going on, but we can trust God and we can trust his word. And even when we're in complaining prayer, like uh, Habakkuk, we can still be living by faith. Well, let's look at the second half of Habakkuk, shall we, and slightly more uh, quickly. Uh, Habakkuk's confident praise. I wonder if you turn with me to uh, chapter 3 of uh, Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk's confident praise. Well, so far, we've, uh, we've been seeing Habakkuk sort of shouting at God, haven't we, and demanding uh, answers from him. And the interesting thing is that it's only when Habakkuk falls silent before God, uh, actually, that he begins to understand uh, what's going on. Uh, verse 20 of chapter 2, just before chapter 3. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent uh, before him. It's only when Habakkuk falls silent that he does begin to see that actually God is at work. He might not understand it. But he can say that, yes, God is at work, even in the midst of trouble and difficulty. And this prayer of praise that he uh, produces in chapter 3 is, is the result. Let's look at it and see what, what, he, uh, what he says, shall we? I, I think uh, this prayer of praise that Habakkuk prays really has, has kind of two themes. And they're, they're a little bit difficult to separate because they're, always, they're quite kind of interlinked. Uh, but we'll have a go at that. Uh, the first theme is that he prays looking back and praising God uh, for all that he's been doing. Uh, he has uh, it's this awesome picture of God in his splendor and majesty. And you can get a sense of it, can't you, if you read from verse 3 through to about verse 15. It's that sort of uh, section there. It's an amazing picture of God in his splendor and majesty. Uh, and again and again, Habakkuk recalls how God has been faithful to his people. It's a bit like a kind of greatest hits compilation of God's uh, dealings with his people. You go through it and you can kind of map out the, the kind of highlights of, uh, of biblical history. Of course, there's uh, God uh, giving his people his uh, holy law on, uh, on uh, Mount Sinai. Uh, you can see that's in, uh, from verse 3. Uh, Mount Paran is just a, another name for Sinai. Uh, so the giving of the law. Of course, there's the exodus in Egypt, isn't there? Verses uh, 5 and 6, that reference to the plagues and the pestilence. Uh, of course, you remember that. So God's sending the plagues on the, the Egyptians. Uh, then there's a, it goes on to the days of the judges and, uh, and Gideon and, and the others. Uh, God came to their rescue when they were attacked by uh, Cushan and uh, Midian in uh, verse 7. Uh, Habakkuk is just building up this picture, isn't he, for us? Uh, wh- whatever happens, God has always been faithful to his people 
and to his promises. Sometimes said, isn't it, that history is his story. It is. God has always been at work in uh, the uh, life of his people, right from the very start. He's always been faithful to his promises. And yet at the same time, I think this, this kind of flashback for Habakkuk, this, this celebration of what God has done, is at the same time both a challenge and a comfort uh, to him. Uh, Habakkuk rounds off this account of uh, God's work with a, with a really quite terrifying description of God in his power as he deals with the world that's rejected him. And, and you can kind of see this, can't we, from uh, verse 8 onwards. It's this terrifying picture of God in his awesome power and majesty. Uh, God is dealing with a world that has rejected him, and it's not a pretty picture uh, to read. Uh, it's a challenge, because if God is faithful to his promise to save... And he's faithful to his people no matter what. At the same time, he's going to be faithful to his promise to judge as well. Uh, God can't, at one hand, uh, be faithful to his promise of salvation if at the same time he is not also faithful to his promise to punish. It's no wonder, is it, that Habakkuk says, verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. A cave crept into my bones. My lips trembled. He knows that, yes, if God has been faithful in the past to his promise to save, at the same time he will also be faithful to his promise uh, to judge. But knowing that God has been uh, in action in the past uh, is the foundation for the second theme of Habakkuk's prayer. Uh, And it's a theme, essentially, that God would be at work in the future as well. Habakkuk's looked back in the past, he now looks ahead uh, to the future Uh, And we can see this, really, in that famous uh, prayer that he prays at the start of uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 2. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Uh, Habakkuk's heard of God's fame, or his his reputation, we might say. He's heard, he remembers all the deeds that that, uh, God has done. And yet he pleads that God should work again that God should show his power, yes, in Habakkuk's day, just as he'd shown it in years gone past. Even as he judges the world in wrath, he prays that God would remember his mercy. He longs that the God who worked in the past should be a God who works in the present. The God who works in the past is the God who works in the present. One of my uh, great joys is reading uh, Christian biographies or kind of uh, sort of histories of, of how God has been at work in, uh, in times past. Um, it's great. I was reading one not so long ago about uh, God at work in, actually in this area in East Anglia. There was a revival in the early part of the 20th century. Amazing revival. People coming to uh, know the Lord Jesus. Uh, and I love reading these things. I love hearing what uh, the Lord has been up to and being encouraged by these things. Sometimes, though, I kind of get to the end of the book and I sort of put it down. And I'm tempted to kind of sigh and sort of say, Oh, Lord, it seems so much better in those days. You know, what are you doing? Why, why can't you do these things uh, today? If only things were like that now. And I've been really challenged this week by that. Because I think what I should be doing is praying the prayer that Habakkuk prays. I shouldn't just be grumbling and saying, Lord, you don't seem to be at work. Well, if only I were lived in those days as well, then it'd be great, wouldn't it? We'd be seeing lots of people come to Jesus and, wow, wouldn't that be amazing? Instead of complaining, surely we should be praying the prayer that Habakkuk prays. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I've heard of what you've done. I stand in awe of your deeds. O Lord, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. 
the God who worked in power in the past, in our land and across the world, is still the God who works in the present and will work in the future until the Lord Jesus returns, convicting people of sin and transforming lives for his praise and for his glory. Uh, there's an old story told of uh, Nye Bevan, who was the architect of the uh, NHS just after the Second World War. And apparently he uh, was once caught coming out of a, a meeting, I think it was a cabinet meeting or something, uh, with tears running down uh, his face. And obviously people were a bit surprised, you know, you don't see a cabinet minister walking out of cabinet meetings with tears running down their face. And someone said to him, Mr, Mr. Bevan, what's, you know, what's going on? What's the problem? And his reply was this, I'm heartbroken by the paucity of their expectation. I'm heartbroken by the paucity of their expectation. Basically, they just don't think things can happen. They don't think things can happen. Uh, I think it's so sad, isn't it, that sadly his words could so often, I think, be applied to Christians today. (laughs) I wonder if that could be said of us. Uh, Heartbroken by the paucity of their expectation. Uh, Maybe we read our Bibles. Maybe we know a bit of church history, perhaps. I don't know. Uh, And yet, we've all but given up on God reviving his work in our land today. Maybe in our lives, maybe. We can think back to times in our lives when God seems to be really at work in our lives and in our hearts. And it all seems to have gone a bit cold. And maybe we basically just don't believe it anymore. We just about do, but really we're hanging on by our fingertips. Uh, We expect not too much of God, but too little. There was a theologian or a writer called J.B. Phillips, and a long time ago he wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. And I wonder if that's something that could be said of quite a lot of us, actually. Our view of God is just too small. We don't think really he can do anything. Uh, May it never be said of us that we have a paucity of expectation about the work of God. That's a terrible thing to say about anyone, isn't it? And yet I think so often, really, if in our hearts of hearts, we know that it's true. You might say, well, that's great, Will, but what if the law doesn't really seem to be working? What if it just seems like he's not doing anything? Again, Habakkuk uh, provides uh, some hope for us. And right at the end of his book, uh, we can see uh, what we should be doing. And it's confident praise, yet again, from verse 17. Uh, Outwardly, things are pretty desperate here. Let's read what he says. The fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour, and the Sovereign Lord is my strength. Uh, Things are pretty bad for Habakkuk. We don't quite know why. Maybe it was the enemy uh, finally had invaded, or maybe just God had actually acted directly to uh, stop the the, the harvests or something. We don't really know. But whatever's happened, the land is barren, the people are starving. It's pretty desperate. And still, even though that's all happening, even though it feels to Habakkuk like God is doing nothing, Still he chooses to rejoice in the Lord and be joyful in God his Saviour. And once again, notice that it's the same principle, isn't it? The righteous live by faith. Uh, We live by faith and not by sight, as another writer put it. Uh, St Paul said in Romans 8, uh, at the end of Romans 8, Who shall separate from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I don't know where this evening uh, finds you. I guess we all come in different states, don't we, to church? Uh, for some of us, I guess, we've maybe just been on holiday or holiday is, uh, is looming and we're looking forward to that and all, all seems well. Uh, but it may well be that for some of us, things are 
much more difficult. And we're just wondering what the Lord's doing, what he's up to, where is he? I'm wondering that a bit collectively as a church. And we're going through a bit of a rough time as a church. It feels like we've got lots of kind of sense of disunity and just, you know, things going on. It's not quite where we would like to be. And just these last couple of weeks, I've been really thinking about this. Lord, what are you doing? Where are you? Uh, what are you doing in Holy Trinity? What are you doing in, our, in my life? What are you doing in the lives of the people around me? And it's tempting in those kind of situations, isn't it? Not just to give up on God, but just to get a bit, you know, maybe to doubt him a bit, doubt his word, doubt his promises. And yet I'm challenged by this, that whatever we face, still we can say with Habakkuk, can't we? I will rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God my Saviour, for the Sovereign Lord is my strength. He's our strength as well. Uh, We don't always understand what God's doing, and yet still we can rejoice uh, and be confident that he is at work. And he's delivering his people, he's defeating evil. We might not see it necessarily, but we know it's happening. And we can look back and say, yes, the righteous shall live by faith. Amen. Should we pray for a moment? Let's bow our heads. Perhaps uh, the Lord's been speaking to us particularly. I don't know. I'm not sure what your uh, state is, uh, but I feel the Lord has been speaking to me, even actually as I've been uh, speaking. And uh, let's take a moment, shall we, just to be still. I'm going to pray that prayer that Habakkuk prayed, that verse 2 that uh, we looked at. I think it's a great prayer to pray. Maybe it's a prayer that we want to pray individually for ourselves. Maybe we're conscious that the Lord... It felt at one time the Lord was at work in us and doesn't feel like he is at the moment. But maybe it's a great prayer to pray uh, collectively for us as a church. Uh, Perhaps we look back to days when it felt like things were exciting. Uh, God was at work. Uh, But actually we're starting to wonder whether he really is. Maybe it's a prayer to pray nationally that the Lord would be at work uh, in our land, in our country, in our nation. So here goes. This is what Habakkuk prays. And... uh, If you want to to join in, you're very welcome to. Uh, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In your wrath, remember mercy.